0: Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community,
1: one relationship at a time. There's a couple of different ways to slice and dice these various ETFs. They can hold what are called total return swaps. Expect the unexpected.
0: Laura, how have you uh, been? It's hard to believe we're already winding down 2023. I'm not sure where the uh, year went. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I feel like it just began. So it's a little uh, un, uh, a little surprising here.
0: <laughs> All right. So as I mentioned at the top, you pro- uh, provided me with a list of several overlooked ETF stories this year. And uh, like I said, I can't wait to get your color on these because I would say at first blush, Uh, These all make perfect sense, and I think you nailed the zeitgeist perfectly, right? These all fit 2023 very well, but uh, again, for whatever reason, these were all overlooked by uh, the media, investors, or uh, I I think in most of these cases, both. And so let's get into these, and the first one I would say was probably the least surprising to me uh, of what was on your list, but I'm still interested to get your take, and that was blockchain ETFs. And I I think I know where you're heading on these, but why did blockchain ETFs stand out to you?
1: Right. So what I think is really fascinating about blockchain ETFs, which, you know, took up all the oxygen in the room uh, last year and the year before and so on, but um, this is the year that blockchain ETFs were just standout performers. If you look at uh, the top five best performing ETFs in 2023, four out of the five of them hold blockchain and crypto com- companies. So I, I ran this logically right before the call, and I'm just going to rattle off some numbers here. You have the Schwab Crypto Thematic ETF, that's ticker STCE, that's up 68% this year. There's the Amplify Transformational Data Sharing ETF, that's ticker BLOCK, that's up 69%. And then there's queen of the heap, the top performing fund of 2023, is the Bitwise Web3 ETF, ticker BWEB, that's up 74% year to date. And so there's a couple of reasons for this, right? So one reason is that blockchain is up is because uh, tech is up, right? If you look at the other ETFs in the top 10, um, it's all tech. Either industry slice funds like Vanex uh, SMH or broad sector plays like the iShares Tech Fund. Another reason is because blockchain, you know, it fell so much last year. So some rebound is going to happen. It's to be expected. But I think the sheer scale and velocity of this uh, rise for blockchain is it's definitely shocking. And I think it's flown under the radar because, you know, people aren't putting money into these ETFs. Um, some more numbers here. Uh, BWeb hasn't seen any creates since it launched last October. STCE has only seen about 4 million since inception. And Block has seen some recent flows, about 18 million over the past month. But year to date, it's still seen net outflows of about 40 million. So I think this goes to show that, you know, investors are very wary of blockchain ETFs right now. The bloom is off the rose. I think a lot of the hot speculative money has moved on to the next hot speculative thing, which is AI, leaving mostly only the true believers uh, staying in. And then there's one last aspect here, and that's that the people who bought blockchain ETFs as a proxy for Bitcoin, now they can pretty much just hold their horses because a spot Bitcoin ETF is almost assuredly on its way. I think the latest estimates that I've seen, put it around mid-January, is the timing. So if and when that happens, blockchain, some blockchain related companies could stand to benefit, which is actually why I think you're seeing some folks move back into the largest and the most liquid uh, blockchain vehicles like Block, uh, you know, albeit in kind of a limited way, just as a sort of anticipatory move.
0: I think this is a really interesting story to highlight. And by the way, I'm not taking your bait on the uh, spot Bitcoin ETF. We're staying away (laughs) from that topic.
1: I threw it out there. I was hoping, but no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I'm I'm staying away from that. But here, here's what's interesting: is if you actually, well, well you went through uh, that list of ETFs. If you actually broaden out the description of what a blockchain ETF. And I think there's probably some debate to be had here in terms of what falls into that category. But I just pulled up the leaderboard of non-leveraged ETFs in terms of performance this year. And I'm seeing ETFs like the Vanek Digital Transformation uh, ETF, ticker DAPP, up 202%. The Valkyrie Bitcoin Miners ETF, uh, ticker WGMI, that's up 200%. Uh, the Invesco Illyrian Galaxy Crypto Economies ETF ticker, S-A-T-O. These all have great tickers, by the way. That's up like 193%. And I could keep going here. Global X has an ETF. There's another Bitwise ETF, uh the, uh, the the Crypto Industry Innovators ETF. And to your point, this is so fascinating to me because these ETFs are all over the ETF leaderboard this year, and there's Hardly any flows into these things. And you just you don't tend to see that in the ETF space. A lot of times you'll see that performance. Uh, I I think Bloomberg's Eric Balchunas calls it like a shiny object moment. All of these ETFs are having that shiny object uh, moment this year, but investors aren't uh, biting. So I I think this is a really good one. I think it, it has been overlooked. I think maybe on the media side, obviously, we've heard more about crypto but on the investor interest side, clearly these have been overlooked. I don't know if any other comments on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it depends for what you're saying. Uh, you know, it depends on how you define blockchain, right? I'm using blockchain as a very broad uh, sort of descriptor to encompass everything from, um, you know, the the users of blockchain to crypto miners to uh, you know, basically taking the description that a lot of those uh, fund managers are using in their prospectuses to uh, stock select and and so on. So um, I'm going to keep my eye on this. I think a lot may shift. As the Bitcoin ETFs, uh, the spot Bitcoin ETFs, if and when they come to market, um, I would not be surprised to see a little bit of knock-on effect uh, benefiting blockchain ETFs. But um, you know, really, it could—it's all going to depend on uh, how strong the demand is going to be for uh, for Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, and again, I'm not taking the bait on the spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, but we, but here's what I will say is that I do think and this is what you're you're touching on. I think one of the reasons we haven't seen the investor interest around these quote-unquote blockchain ETFs is because of the assumption that a spot Bitcoin ETF will be debuting at some point, you know, perhaps even in the next, uh, you know, month or two. And right. so I I think I think really it's that simple. Um, okay, the next story on your list is AI-driven ETFs, artificial intelligence which look we all know AI was one of the biggest stories in the markets overall this year right with uh, chat gBT and all that uh, but but why did you pick AI driven ETFs
1: So from one shiny object to another right um, <laughs> so it's it's wild to me that in a year where AI has taken up so much so much oxygen in the room AI has taken up so much mind share. The ETFs that use AI to pick stocks just really aren't catching fire with investors, right? So the AI-powered equity ETF, that's ticker AIEQ, which I believe is the oldest of the AI-driven ETFs, and which you can kind of think of as like a proxy for the space, it's only taken in $4 million in 2023. Um, Kraft's uh, AI-enhanced momentum fund, ticker AMOM, that's only taken in about $3 million. Wisdom Trees AI funds, they actually saw outflows, right? So the International Value Fund ticker AIVI is down uh, 5 million in flows. The US version has seen outflows of 44 million. And so you compare that to the ETFs that are tracking companies in the AI space, the ones that are uh, have that exposure to AI stocks, it's a much different story. Um, the funds that are marketed to, to um, Track AI, or even tangentially related to the space, have done very well for themselves in 2023. I'm going to rattle off some more numbers here. Uh, Wisdom Tree's Artificial Intelligence and Innovation Fund, that's tickered WTAI, that has taken in about 166 million inflows the Robo Global Artificial Intelligence Fund that tracks a Vetify index actually that's taken 72 million in the Global X Robotics and Artificial Intelligence ETF ticker BOTS, I think you just mentioned that a few minutes ago that's up 60 uh, excuse me 644 million Roundhill's chat is up 60 million I mean just fund after fund after fund taking in a good chunk of change in 2023 so you know, what's interesting is that these AI tracking ETFs—they're outperforming the broader market, but so are the ones that the bots are running, right? AIEQ is up five percentage points on the broader market. AM uh, A Mom is beating the broad market by over ten percentage points. So it seems like AI is working as a stock picker. But, you know, investors aren't ready to hand the keys to the car over to the robots yet. It's the same reason that self-driving cars haven't taken off, right? Uh, Investors might be willing to hand their, um, their money over to an active manager who uses the robots to make stock selections. And honestly, that's what we've been doing for years with natural language processing algorithms and machine learning and other fancy ways of saying AI. But... Investors want and need to believe that there's a human at the wheel, and that is so telling because as much as finance and investing is about numbers and charts and basis points and all of that, it's also about people and behavior and biases and emotion. So there's an interesting psychological hurdle to adoption for these AI-powered ETFs that, I don't know, maybe it's insurmountable in this generation of investors. Who knows?
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, do you think that this space can have a future, AI-driven ETFs. I think clearly um, ETFs that invest in artificial intelligence and, and the associated companies, that's going to have a future in the thematic ETFs uh, space. But again, we're talking about AI-driven ETFs. Do you think there can be a real future here? I mean, I've read a lot about, say, active managers who are leveraging AI as part of their overall research process. To select stocks, that makes a lot of sense to me, but that's a little bit different than just completely handing over, um, you know, the stock picking, uh, decision making process to AI.
1: Yeah. A- and uh, I think what you just described, active managers, um, even index creators that are using AI as part of their research process, part of their, um, you know, thought process that goes into um, ideation, like That makes complete sense. And like I said, it's been going on for years. Um, If not AI, then other sorts of ai light tools have been employed pretty much since they were invented. Um, That being said, though, I think we're really going to need to wait uh, some time before we see something like an AI, a purely AI-driven ETF take off in the market. I honestly think you might need a new generation of investors, right? As I was hinting before, you need digital natives who are so comfortable and familiar with AI, who see it as uh, just not as Skynet, not as, you know, the the end all be all of, of, you know, not as a savior, not a Skynet, but as just a fact of life and just as ordinary and mundane as the Internet is to us now. So uh, I think you're going to need to wait till those investors that are coming of age kind of cure and and get ready to start investing in scale. Then you might see AI driven ETFs take off. But for now, it's just going to be a party trick.
0: Yeah, and I do think this is cliche. I uh, people know I always talk about this on the podcast when we talk about any ETF category, but obviously a lot of this comes down to performance. And I I think you mentioned AI EQ, and we may be looking. There may be a timing difference here. I mean, I'm showing that's up right now about 16 percent year to date, so actually trailing the S and P 500. But I, I just pulled up the chart. If I run AI EQ back to inception. And again, this is the AI powered equity ETF. And compare it to the S&P 500. Listen to this. So the S&P 500 is up 97% over this time. AI EQ is up 46%. And that goes mm-hmm. back to, let's see, October 2017. So again, this is cliche, but it's going to come down to performance, right? If these things were knocking the cover off the ball and showing uh some, some some ability to generate alpha that's gonna get investor interest. I I believe. Until that happens over a sustained period of time, I think it's gonna be tough sledding. I think to what you were saying, it's just too early in the space overall for people to put a lot of uh, you know, stock into what these are doing. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: All right. The next story you have is uh, commodity ETFs. And you specifically noted the Tucrium Sugar ETF, ticker symbol CANE, which uh, I, I think we both agree is a fantastic ticker symbol. Um, but my, my sense is that you feel like commodities in general have been overlooked. So, so give us some color on this one.
1: I think commodities are always overlooked, <laughs> unless they're exploding. Uh, unless it's you know, to, I think 2007 people were giving commodities the uh, the due that they deserved. But commodities are perennially under under um, served by our media coverage, uh, even though they're basically the the foundations of our economy. Right, like the food prices matter more than pretty much anything else. Energy prices matter uh, so much. So. Um, there's been so much going on po- geopolitically this year. The war in the Middle East, uh, continued Russia-Ukraine war. There's an election cycle coming up. Yeah, I mean, yada, yada, yada. There's so much happening. It's almost like we forgot the world is still in the throes of some really, really, really unusual weather patterns. Places that don't get a lot of rain are being deluged, like the northeastern coast in the U.S. Places that normally do get lots of rain were drought-stricken. You know, here in New Orleans, I was telling you earlier this year, the Mississippi River was so low that salt water from the Gulf of Mexico is flowing upstream and compromising our drinking water. We thought we were going to have to ration for months. So... All of that wacky weather has an impact on commodities prices. Food prices uh, have a very clear supply side component to them. The supplies for agricultural commodities across the board have been extremely challenged uh, this year, and sugarcane is the poster child. So, you know, all these wacky weather effects, they, they stem from an effect called the El Nino weather pattern. Uh, and depending on where you live, El Nino can make it either hotter and drier or wetter. And in the case of Brazil, which is the largest sugar producer in the world, you are seeing record rainfall. And record rainfall is actually pretty good for sugarcane. Sugarcane likes wet, uh, but when you get too much rain, that floods roads. It makes it harder to transport trucks and trains and so on. And so when you get the crop to the ships, um, it's a struggle to get there. Uh, It's a transporting problem, but then you get them to the the container ships and ports elsewhere in the world are being impacted by low water levels and drought, like in New Orleans. Um, There are other countries in the world, like India and Thailand that also grow a lot of sugar cane that are seeing these big droughts. And so the sugar isn't growing. India's incoming crop is projected to be about half the output it had from two years ago. So there's less supply on the market. And you know what that does to prices? They go whoop, up. So that's why the Tucrium sugar fund, cane, uh, which holds sugar futures, uh, it's up over 50% year to date. It's one of the top performers of the year, just shy of that top 10 uh, performing ETFs in the US, but barely anybody is buying. Right. They've seen some creates and some redeems, a little bit of like institutional or or, or hedger trader activity. But mostly the fund has landed flat with eight million in outflows. That was really surprising to me.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I show up. Fifty three percent year to date, eight million in outflows. And I I even just pulled up um, DBA, the Invesco DB Agriculture Fund, just to see what that looks like. Now, this one hasn't knocked the cover off the ball. It's up about nine percent. But not bad, especially if you compare to some other uh, asset classes that are out there. 9% uh, year-to-day is not horrible. This thing has $340 million in outflows this year. And so I think clearly this has been an overlooked category. So I, I guess if you had to summarize, I mean, do you think it just comes down to the fact that most investors and advisors' commodities just aren't on their, their radar? And so even if you have good performance in the space it's just not an area they're paying attention to do you think it's that simple
1: I think it it has uh I think there's an element of that with uh maybe newer advisors um and newer investors right but there are plenty of advisors with history and who have been around for a couple of decades and have, have been through uh for example the 2007 um, run up and bubble in commodities in prices. And then, uh, you know, the explosion, excuse me, I think it was 2011. I'm sorry, getting the date wrong there. Um, but the, the uh, price curplosion in the commodities um, markets that were was right around the great, uh, the time of the great financial crisis and that kept on curploding for a few years afterwards, um, they got burned there. And, you know, maybe in the run up to that, they they were convinced uh, that they should have some exposure to commodities in their portfolio, maybe five to 10 percent. And, you know, it was a great diversifier, all of which is true, by the way. Um, but, you know, it it diversified in the wrong direction <laughs> during that explosion. And so they got burned and they don't want to touch it again. So maybe a little bit of the same um, reticence that we're seeing in maybe some of the thematic areas right now, uh, like with blockchain, I guess, um, you know, is is still there. There's still some wounds that are being licked, I guess, uh, from many, many, many years ago. So if you combine that with the fact that commodities just aren't on a lot of people's radars now, um, you know, I, I think maybe that might be why we're not seeing uh, more people take advantage of these run ups.
0: All right. The last story that you flagged uh, is somewhat related here to the commodity ETF space. You flagged energy ETFs. And I would say out of the, the, the four stories we're covering here, this was probably the most surprising to me, just because if I look at, say, XLE, the Energy Select Sector Spider Fund, I'm showing that's down about a percent. Uh, year to date versus the S&P 500 up uh, about 21%. And so I'm I'm interested to hear why you think this segment has been overlooked. Does it get into to drilling down further into different segments of the energy market or, or does it come back to flows? What are you seeing here?
1: Well, it's interesting because we've seen especially in the last few weeks uh, a lot of headlines focusing on how terribly clean energy ETFs are performed this year, right? They're bleeding cash, billions in outflows, double-digit negative performance, and so on. All true. All absolutely true. Um, clean energy ETFs in particular are tend to be growth-oriented companies. Growth-oriented companies tend to be hurt by higher interest rates. So you know it makes a, a lot of sense. What's interesting though is that traditional energy ETFs have held up better than clean energy, of course, at least comparatively but they're not seeing much benefit in flows either, right? So, so XLE, you mentioned XLE, that's about flat-ish for the year. Certainly not the bloodbath we've seen in climate funds like TAN, the solar ETF, which is down 34%. iClean, which is down
0: 26%.
1: Yet XLE, uh, you know, the time that I measured this, uh, 1.5 billion with a B in outflows, which is actually more than the outflows for both TAN and iClean combined. And it's not just XLE, right? Other big energy funds are seeing this too. Vanguard's energy fund, VDE, down 156 million uh, in outflows, even though it's about flattish for the year. Uh, IYE, about flattish as well. uh, Seen outflows of almost $1 billion. And here's what I think is happening. Um, It's it's that classic uh, local market versus global market, right? So Look at iShares' global energy ETF, that's ticker IXC. It's up about eh, 4% on the year, not, you know, knocking the cover off the ball or anything, but it's taken in almost 1 billion in new net flows, uh, mostly in the past month or two. And the fact that it's global and the others are U.S.-focused, I think is the story, because the U.S. energy picture... You know, the U.S. has got a lot of oversupply in the markets. We're, we've been generating a lot of oil. We're, we're very, I think we're even overtaking some OPEC countries and Saudi Arabia is considering flooding the market just to stay competitive. And it's all, you know, a lot of that. Um, but the, the, the long and the short of it is that it's keeping oil prices sort of muted and flat for the year. And there's also been a lot of M&A in the energy space, which I think Stacy Morris mentioned when she came on the show a few weeks ago, when a- M&A happens, that tends to benefit more of the oil services sector, rather than the produces sector or a straight up futures fund, like, you know, the energy, uh, you know, uh, USO, or, or you know, those kind of funds. So I think the, the long and the short of it is that the global energy picture has more volatility to it, war could impact uh, oil supplies el nino could impact those oil supplies so there's more potential for shocks uh, which could positively impact oil prices and so more opportunity for energy producers in the markets worldwide compared to to the us
0: no i think all of that is well said And, and to your point i did visit with um your colleague stacy morris that was i guess a few weeks ago and there are specific segments of this space that have performed well. You mentioned the service providers. The other area that is easy to highlight is the MLP space. Like I pull up yep. AMLP here, um, the Elarian MLP ETF, which I, I know uh, Vetify provides the index on. That's up 26% year to date. So, uh, you know, clearly performing well. I guess if I had to characterize, you um, The surprise in this space, it would just be the lack of carryover from 2022 because energy as a sector was the best performing area of the market in a very difficult year for the market. So, you know, I would have thought that maybe there'd be some carryover in terms of investor interest on the flow side, uh, but it just hasn't been there. You you went through some of the flow numbers of the largest energy ETF. So I I agree. This will be an interesting space to watch moving forward. I think you're right. It has been overlooked uh, in 2023. But, Laura... Excellent stuff, as always. Uh, if I don't talk to you before then, I hope you and your family enjoy the holiday season. And I can't wait to reconnect in uh, 2024. Who knows what's going to be uh, <laughs> uh, on our, uh, our list of, uh, of topics to discuss. But thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me and a happy holiday season to you as well.
0: That was Laura Krigger, Editor-in-Chief at Vetify.